1: For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Now, there aren't many people who can say that they've been given the job of marking Diego Maradona in a World Cup qualifier. Not only that, there are even fewer who can say they came out with their reputation intact, let alone improved. Uh, But my guest is one of those people, a legend, a legend. Uh, in the Socceroos strip, our second most capped player of all time—that is, uh, in a hundred years of our national team's existence—and he is a natural leader on the pitch. Having captained the Socceroos in no less than about 66 games, it is a special year for the Socceroos as well. Of course, we're counting down to another World Cup, but also we're marking the centenary of the team. And my guest has contributed to a new book which celebrates that milestone. So let's say hello and welcome to the one and only Paul Wade. Hello, Paul.
0: I'm absolutely blushing. Thank you very much. I'll as calm you down. As you should in be.
2: As you should be. I'm keen to get <laughs> your thoughts firstly on the upcoming World Cup. You know, a massive achievement just to get there again. Uh, We did it the hard way uh, and we certainly won't forget that penalty shootout against Peru in a hurry. But how do you reckon the Socceroos are going to go in Qatar in a few months?
0: Well, after what they've come through, after what Graham Arnold's come through, that was an amazing achievement. And people were criticising him all the way through, the way we played, the the players that we were playing, the depth that we had. Because they've got through, I reckon they're probably one of the most close teams, mm. as far as relationships go, that we've ever had. Yep. And I, I say that unreservedly. You know, we've always had stars overseas, you know, that we talk about the golden generation, but none of these guys were. Mm. You know, they they plod along, they work hard, and they listen to Graham Arnold, and they've got there. I won't be surprised if they get out of the group stage, really. They have got some tough competition. Oh, yeah. Um, Tunisia, Denmark, and France. But you know what? You don't have to be the fastest, the strongest. If you're the most clever... You can get a result. We've been beaten 1-0 by Fiji before. Yeah. And it was embarrassing, but they did it because they were clever.
2: Yeah. Let's go right back to the very start of your story, Paul. I mean, it almost pains me to point this out, you know, after I've just given you that big rap in the intro there. <laughs> 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 a, a Socceroos legend. But, I, you know, we have to acknowledge the reality. That is that you weren't one of us until you were into your, your young adult years almost. You came to, to Australia at the age of 11, having been... Be born in, in Cheshire in England, uh, tell us what were, what were your sort of your striking memories from life as a kid in England.
0: Yeah, I'm a 10-pound pond. Yeah. Honestly, I had no idea what I was coming. didn't even know where Melbourne was. My dad dad came out here as an electrical engineer. But if I think back, you know, I never played for a club until I got to Australia. Is that right? That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. What what we used to do was play in the street and play for our school. Yep. And really, that's all it was. We didn't have bibs, balls, cones. We didn't have coaches. We just... apart from one teacher, we just played. You know, we just wanted to be that player from Liverpool. And it didn't really matter whether we were going to make it or not. At that moment... On that little bit of grass in St. Helens, where I, I remember all the, the great stuff, yep. we, we could have play, been playing at Wembley yeah. as far as we were <laughs> concerned. When we got the ball, we were doing the commentary. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Wade beats five players, nutmegs the goalkeeper. What a goal! <laughs> you know? And that's the way it was. We loved it. We really did. Yep. Nothing else mattered for yep. us.
2: So do you remember the moment when your parents sort of sat you down and said, Paul... There's going to be a little bit of a change here. We're going to up sticks and move to the other side of the world.
0: Yeah, I was, uh, my mum and dad got back from the pub, which was next door. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So we couldn't get away with anything because we knew they'd be back in a minute. Yeah. So he came back one night and he said, look, uh, we're going to have a change. And this is the country we're going to and showed us a map. And I remember looking at the map going, because I was into swimming as well right. uh, at school. Yep. Yeah, so I, I looked at the map and went, right, I'm going to swim to that little island down the bottom <laughs> right-hand corner of Australia. Uh, that's how much idea, That's the perspective I have of where yep. we were going and how big it was. Uh, but then again, I was I was only 11. Uh, yeah. What am I supposed to think? All I wanted to do was play for Liverpool.
2: Yeah, so were you annoyed at your parents? I mean, you would have established your mates there and you were probably, you know, loving getting out and kicking a ball in the street and, you know, that you had the the community around you. Were you, were you annoyed with, at your parents for dragging you away from No, that? not at all.
0: No? Not at all because as far as I was concerned, they did exactly what we were doing in, in St. Helens. Yep. We all played out on the street. We all had our best mates. And if you had a ball, you were the best. Um, That's what I thought it would be. So for me, it was an adventure. Maybe I didn't actually realize that we were never coming back. Mm. Uh, We could have gone back after two years, but I could have thought, wow, we are never gonna come back. I could have cried. I remember leaving. My mum and dad lived in Barnsley for years, so that's where all the Rellos were. I remember jumping in a cab to go to Manchester airport. And all the family, every like in my mind, when I think about it now, there could have been two dozen people standing there crying as we drove away. But I I was like, well, we'll be back, you losers. That's the (laughs) sort of thing I was thinking. It did not register what we were going to do. No, not
2: at all. So you land in Australia. This place you obviously had some ideas about before you jumped on the plane, but what was it like? What was the reality like when you landed here?
0: 25 degrees. Oh, I was roasting. I just come <laughs> from the north of England. There, is, there isn't a cloud in the sky. It is absolutely roasting. I had no idea how hot, hot was. Yep. And my mum and dad took us to a pub in a southeast or southern suburb of, of Melbourne called Seaford. And we had fish and chips. Brilliant. Just. To make us feel like we were at <laughs> home, but honestly, it was it was so hot. I'll never forget that. And then once we'd settled a little bit, not only was the air warm, but there were coloured birds in the sky, and mm. not in cages. And there was these big spiders the side of the yeah uh, the palm of your hand. I don't know whether they were tarantulas, but um, yeah. <laughs> in your mind they were. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was exciting. In fact, yeah. I almost didn't play football. I was that happy to be Is in this right? brand new environment. It was my mum who grabbed me and said, Right, trainings on twice a week, go.
2: Yep, that's you. Probably for the babysitting yep. as much as, as anything, Paul.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it probably was. But my mum says, When I got there, I was really disappointed because all the other kids couldn't play.
2: And look, um, you know, being of your generation, if I can put it that way, uh, Paul, yeah. and playing soccer. In Australia can make you a bit of a target especially when you're in AFL heartland as you were in Melbourne did you did you find that at all did yeah, it sort of we put were, a target uh, on your head
0: yeah yeah we were and as uh, the Johnny Warren book yeah. says we were sheilas wogs and puffers it yeah. is true yeah it is absolutely true and if I remember playing this little game of footy in the school playground and somebody shouted handball yeah. and I went I did not I didn't even touch it with my hand. They were obviously talking about a hand pass. Yeah. Somebody was still in handball. But yeah, no idea, totally correct.
2: Yeah, so you lived through that. Did it, it at any point sort of make you think, well, maybe I need to play the local game here instead?
0: No, my brothers did. Uh, I had younger brothers and they were, the, first, the second one was, all class. The third one was just get in there and get that ball but when I went to football training because the other kids weren't that good, it meant that I had to work twice as hard and I remember at the end of the season, we got little trophies. I know today people are up in arms that get trophies. Why should we give every kid a trophy? Well, to me, that was thank you for playing this season so I didn't need to go and fit in. My yep. boss was working harder and being more effective than anyone else yep. and getting a little trophy because mm. I was good.
2: Yeah, put that on the shelf. Admire it every night yeah. when you go to bed. <laughs> hey, Paul, just before we go to a, to a break, you arrived here in 1973, as you said, at the age of 11. Of course, 1974 was a great year for the Socceroos. They qualified for the World Cup. You'd just come from England, which was probably still kind of trying to bask in the glow of a World Cup win in 1966. At what point did you ditch the England top and start think about wearing <laughs> the green and gold top instead?
0: Uh, you know, I don't think I ever realised there was an England team because we were so fixated by Liverpool. Yeah, that was the that was our World Cup team as far as I was concerned. So when I came out here, I still thought of Liverpool. I didn't know there was a. a a competition in the state league i didn't know there was a soccer team that they were called that it was just i didn't the most important thing to me was that training session and that game i I, I don't know i had blinkers on so yeah from that point of view not a problem at all not knowing anybody
2: let's put it down to focus and commitment paul attributes that (laughs) served you well throughout your career. Let's take a break. After that, um, your first foray uh, into the NSL, as it was uh, in those days uh, and beyond. This is Inspiring Stories. Our special guest in this episode is Socceroos legend Paul Wade. We'll be back with more of his story right after this.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Uh, In this year, we are celebrating 100 years of the Socceroos. So who better to chat to, uh, to mark that occasion, than our second most capped player of all time in a Socceroos strip? in Paul Wade. Paul, um, you've landed in Australia. It sounds like you've settled in pretty well. Uh, You're getting back in Uh, to playing soccer, uh, albeit in a new environment. Uh, At what point did you think I could really make a go of it? You know, maybe the NSL is somewhere I could play.
0: Well, I think when I went, it's an interesting journey as far as you take a step from one level to the other. And very quickly, the two steps are from youth team football to senior team and from senior team to national team. Now, uh, I know you've got to work hard. I know you've got to have passion and listen and do all that sort of stuff. But I went from a youth team, just a, a normal youth team in the southern suburbs of Melbourne, to a uh, a team of were well, first team and reserves especially the reserves now the first team went on strike for more money <laughs> and the reserves had to go and play in the first team which meant the youth team had to go and play in the uh, in the reserves that's how I made it to the reserves of senior <laughs> football. Very unglamorous, isn't it? It's a Stephen Bradley story. From, <laughs> <laughs> and from the state, I moved to a, maybe one, two clubs. And how I got to the Socceroos was, oh, sorry, the A League was I played with a guy in the middle of the park called Jimmy Rooney, who is. Born in Scotland and yep. is an absolute legend. Played 99 times for his country. But to me, he was just a player in the middle of the park. He could nutmeg anybody any time and I could work hard. And together, we were, the, uh, we were a great combination. Yeah. Now, he got a job. He got a job as a coach in the National Soccer League. And then I he said, well, I'm running out of players. Come with me. Because yeah, he right. knew what I could do, yeah. and from there I was playing in the national league. Now, Frank Arrok, uh, this is how I got from there to uh, to the national team. Frank Carroll had this massive um, selection program. You know, there could have been thirty people there, and he was only going to pick ten or something like that. And that was just Victoria. Yeah. So I went. I went to this. And he goes, oh, we're playing uh, Czechoslovakia. Oh, we're pl- actually we're, we're playing China. That's where I played my first game, uh, but it was a very cold, who cares type game. Do you mm. know what I mean? Mm. And I, I sat on. The, he put me on the bench against Czechoslovakia. And Kenny Murphy, who played for South Melbourne Hellas at that time, got injured, did his knee. Yeah. And Frank, yeah, uh, Frank Arroch looked down the line and gone, oh. Bloody hell. We're gonna have to put Wade on. It was the way he shouted it. Hey Wade. Yeah. It was yeah, the yeah, song okay. afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And I i don't think i had shin pads on so i didn't have a chance to be nervous because i went there just for a as a tourist yeah yeah so to go on the park and play against these cheques who were playing at a hundred miles an hour but it was again going back to that it was because somebody got hurt i might never have played for the Socceroos if he hadn't
2: well once you're in there it's fair to say you uh you found your feet because uh, as i mentioned <laughs> You pulled on the green and gold, uh, you know, quite a few times over the years. Um, can I ask you to, just just to backtrack a, a little bit? Um, and I am sure you get asked this question a, a bit. You know, was there ever an opportunity to go and play overseas? I understand the, the, an opportunity did come up when you were still a teenager uh, to go back to uh, what was the hometown for your mum and dad. That must have been tempting for you, yeah.
0: It was tempting, but I instigated it because I wanted to, again, I, I wanted to play for Liverpool yeah. and I thought, maybe I could play in the youth team at Barnsley. How about I give my granddad a ring? <laughs> so I rang him and he you know cut a long story short. He got me a gig in the youth team, um, just training for, I think we were just there for four or five weeks. Uh, But I instigated that trip of, of six weeks, I paid for it. So I went there and I just trained with these, you know what, they were faster, they were stronger, they could kick a ball straighter. In fact, one coach said to me, why are you kicking a ball like a boomerang? (laughs) Nobody has ever taught me how to kick a ball accurately in a straight line. So it was that sort of wake-up call. So when I came back uh, from England, oh, I'll tell you how I was leaving, I said to the coach, thanks very much for having me. I'm going home to Australia tomorrow. And, of course, he's got. oh, I made. we thought you were going to stay for another couple of weeks. I was going to give you a game. Oh, come back. Come back tomorrow. Tomorrow night we're going to play Chesterfield at, at Oakwell, which is Barnsley's ground. Uh, you can play as a number five centre-back. In other words, you're crap put you at the back, surely you can't make a mistake, just kick it out. Well, I, yeah, it was on Barnsley's ground. And let me tell you, it was a real ground with stands and four floodlight towers. And and the ground was beautiful. It was like a carpet. And the next day, because I left then, and the next day in the newspaper it says, Wade shines for Barnsley youth team. And so I never really got a chance. And I, I probably wouldn't have made it at that time. But, wow, I played on an English football ground with real stands. And, and made the local paper. I hope you cut it out and brought it home. <laughs> yeah, the Barsley Echo. Don't you worry about that. That is <laughs> safely planted in my time. safe.
2: That's the big time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, was, it, was it tempting, though, to uh, at any point, though, after that, to pursue a career outside of Australia?
0: You know what? People might be disappointed with this, but no, I was happy. I was was happy being at home. It was a safe place for me. Um, I I just enjoyed playing football. I had really no ambition other than Liverpool. Uh, So no, I didn't. Every training session and every game, whether the players were good or not, that was my focus. Yep. Um, I didn't even. I never thought of money, fame, and fortune because I'm sure that's why people chase that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, can you take us back to the, the
2: NSL days? I mean, you know, rightly or wrongly, people often uh, think of that chapter in Australian soccer now as being a time. Um, where there were very you know, clear ethnic tensions and you, know, you saw it just mm-hmm. in the names of the clubs. They were pretty clearly defined as being a Croatian club or an Italian club. I mean, you played for Brunswick Juventus, um, for instance. <laughs> um, do you remember it that way? Was it, was it that kind of tense and there was this extra spice uh, to the atmosphere at a game because there were uh, ethnic divides and tensions between rival supporter groups?
0: Absolutely. That's the way these clubs were invented. You just come out from Italy. You don't speak anybody else's language, especially English. So... um... Uh, all right, well, why don't we start a football club because we all love football yeah. and we're proud of our country and we have a history and we want to stand up for that and that's where it all went wrong because um, I'll reference a couple of countries. Uh, the Croats hated the Serbs and the, the Greeks hated the Masos. and, you know, what? As I, as I got into the NSL, they weren't old people fighting on the terraces. They were young youth people who'd find it, found it, took it upon themselves to go, you know what, let me fight here for my granddad who fought 70 years ago. Yeah. And that, is, again, is another way that it smashed the NSL and football right across the board. Whenever there was a report in the paper, it was soccer violence. Yep. Yep. You never saw it in the AFL. It was soccer violence and that was it.
2: Mm. Which I imagine for someone like yourself, you, you know, you'd, uh, you'd come from a, uh, an English background. Um, you were almost a, a piggy in the middle in all of that in many ways, I imagine.
0: Yeah. But, you know, all the players got on. Yeah. We all came from different countries, whether we were first or second generation, but we couldn't care where we came from because you were wearing a red shirt and I was wearing a blue. That's why I kicked you. Yep. Not because you're Croatian and I'm the Serb. So, yeah, it was no problem on the inside of the ground. What really was of concern, if you had to get from the ground to the dressing room through the fans with the cyclone fence, fair Mm. chance you were going to get spat on. Yeah, yeah. That that was the biggest problem. And you did? Yeah, on a number of occasions. In fact, there was one game, none of these clubs will be mentioned for (laughs) legal reasons, (laughs) but but, uh, there was one game where we the our staff whether it be management or coaches says right i want you all there at, at our ground for 2 hours before the game and we'll get on a bus yep because that way you don't have to go and park your car outside of their ground so we got this bus and we drove into the ground feeling really safe in numbers well when we came off the field for that for that game, and we were going to go back to our dressing room or our club. There was dents all over that boss. I don't. There were cracks in the windows while we were playing. They were smashing it. Mm. So it's like, really, yeah. I, what kind of monsters are we playing in front of here?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's craziness, isn't it? Craziness. Yeah. Hey, yo, Paul. We need to take another break, but after that, we'll get into your international career. Have to hear the Maradona story. Or if there's more than one, feel free to share them all. Uh, and other highlights as well uh, in the green and gold. So we'll get through as many of those as we can right after we take a break. Paul Wade is our special guest on Inspiring Stories. Back with more after this.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Yes, welcome back to Inspiring Stories, Socceroos legend uh, and contributor to a new book that celebrates uh, 100 years of the Socceroos. Paul Wade is our special guest. We'll talk more about the book in just a moment, uh, Paul. But I suppose uh, the thing that maybe qualified you to write the foreword in that book, uh, you Uh, Many, many moments uh, in a Socceroos strip. As I mentioned, second most capped player. I think you're the most capped as captain, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right?
0: That's a good question. Honestly, I haven't looked at it. I'm not kidding you about this. There are so (laughs) many people who say so many things. I don't believe any of (laughs) (laughs) them.
2: Well, look, I think the records will show without any doubt uh, that you are certainly second on the list in terms of uh, appearances. Uh, for the Socceroos, and I'm pretty, I'm about eighty five percent sure. Let's go with it anyway. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter. It's all part of your story, Paul. Um, so many magic moments uh, to to share, I'm sure, uh, in the green and gold. But can we talk about Maradona first? You had the job of of marking Maradona. I mean, just to take people back, we were trying to qualify uh, for the '94 World Cup in the USA. Uh, back in the days when we had to do it the hard way and 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 play against the South American side to get there. Um, you had a, a match here in Australia and Melbourne, then had to go to Argentina. You have the job of marking, like, I mean, arguably the greatest player of all time in Diego Maradona. I mean, the, the night before you have to do that, are you sleeping that night or are you just up all night, just tossing and turning, wondering how you're going to get through this nightmare? Yeah,
0: well, the, the great thing about it is that Um, I I won't go into the full story because it's boring for everyone else. No, it's it's not. One of the most defining moments of my career, uh, the games against Canada before, but that was a moment where I go, wow, really? Did I really do that? The great thing about Eddie Thompson was that he chose to play at home first because he knew... We knew the grounds, we knew the hotels, we knew the training facilities. If we get a result here, we can go to Argentina over there where they're going to be under so much pressure because they didn't win here Mm. that that could squash their enthusiasm or their confidence. So there was a certain sense of you know, we're being looked after here. We're not out there for 90 minutes on our own. Mm. But the night before, we went to watch a a, a state league game. It was at Marconi Stadium because Tomo didn't want us sitting in our rooms panicking. He said, come on, we're going out to the west of Sydney and we're going to watch them play. And that's what we did. We sat there and watched them play, although – every time I'm somebody at the forward line received the ball I thought I wonder what Maradona would have done in that case <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder which player is going to run away for him so he can pass it to them yeah so I didn't get I didn't get no sleep but I wasn't as stressed as I thought I might be
2: right i mean how do you mentally prepare for that sort of job
0: but you do two things you you eliminate stress by finding out about your topic because, you know, and I've researched this because mm-hmm. I do speaking gigs all over the country. Yeah. That dress is capability versus expectation. Now, I if I hadn't have watched the two games previous to the one we played Argentina, I wouldn't have thought, hey, I'm capable of doing this. I don't know whether I can, but I'm capable of it. So then it made that gap between capability and expectation a little bit closer because the expectation was stop Maradona. I'd watched those two games. I had an idea now of what he was going to do, right? He might not have. I might not have been able to stop him. So with all of that, with that, just getting used to watching him, I became less and less scared of the outcome. And when I stood in the in stadium tunnel and he's standing there next to me, I'm looking at the side, I'm going, geez, you're not big at all. No. You're really you're really (laughs) small. But I'm looking out of the corner of my eye, by the way. And I'm thinking, geez, he's strong. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, think of that process that you you've just watched his last two games. He only used his left foot and he didn't move very far. He used He worked very fast with great vision. So that's what I was thinking about when I said, happy birthday, Diego.
2: So it was his birthday, was it? Yeah. There you go. Did that catch him off guard then? Are you wishing him happy birthday?
0: <laughs> I didn't keep looking him in the face. <laughs> of, don't don't look, look mean, look yeah. angry, shout at the players. Nah. Yeah. Just enjoy the fact that you're standing next to the greatest player ever to play the game. I don't know what he looked like when I said that.
2: Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, when you're out on the pitch, what is it actually like when you're, you know, the. The anthems are playing, everyone's singing, every, the crowd's screaming. But ultimately, it's just 11 versus 11 out on the grass there. And your yeah. job is on it. I mean, what what were your impressions of him and having to mark him? Were, were you kind of uh, focused on your job or were there moments where you just sort of had to be in awe of him?
0: I People say I did... I did a, a great job. Yeah. And and that fine I did I did get a couple of tackles and it made me feel so good and when the crowd make a noise because of what you do there your enthusiasm your just your want to do it all over again just grows but there are other times I thought hang on a minute he was standing in front of me how come he's 10 yards up the other end with the ball loving every minute without it? I'm thinking, how did he do that? How did he make that pass over the top of five players, inch perfect to one of his players? Yeah. He just left me for dead. I got, and I'm saying with this with respect, I got a drugged up Maradona. Uh, socially drugged up, I'm assuming, Um, coming off all of that. I didn't get a Maradona in 86 who could tear anybody apart. Mm. So, yes, I stood there at times going, wow. People said to me, oh, maybe you should have kicked him a bit more. I wasn't going (laughs) to go and kick somebody like that. (laughs) I wasn't in awe. In fact, there was one time, I've got a bit of vision of it, where I just thought he's shielding the ball. I thought I'm just going to push him over. So I pushed him over and stood there with a smile on my face and I got up and I, he got up and I apologised. I had my hand out to say sorry with a big smile on my face and he got up and he, he showed me the palms of his hand, shrugged his shoulders and said, don't worry, mate, better players than you have kicked me before. <laughs> and I thought, oh, good on you. Thank you for that. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay.
2: And the history books will show, of course, 1-1 one, one, uh, in Australia, which still had you right in it. You then have to go to Argentina uh, and play in, I can only imagine, a pretty hostile environment over there. Uh, and look, unfortunately, you know, they got the the one goal that, that saw them through to the 94 World Cup. But after that, you know, you, you had done your job so admirably, Paul. You must have felt a million bucks after that.
0: I was I was disappointed as uh, Graham Arnold and Robbie Slater, who had a tear in their eye. But I'd, I'd, I I I realised and I thought to myself I couldn't have done any more to stop him playing football. Yep. So from that sense, I couldn't cry. Um, and when the crowd, I thought to myself, I'm very proud of what we've done. Do you know what I mean? And I and I I don't know why, I I was going after Maradona's shirt. I wanted his shirt, so I pulled it, and you can see the vision. I pulled on the back of his shirt as he's walking off, and I and I thought. And anyway, he turned around and I said, Do "You want to swap?" And all he said was, "Fidel Castro." What? And I'm thinking, Fidel Castro, I've just chased you around for 180 <laughs> minutes. You are kidding me. Now, right before that, Fernando Redondo, who yeah, is one of the phenomenal greatest- players. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's walked past me and said, do you want to swap? And I said, no, thanks. I want Maradona's. Wow. Oh, Maradona told me to get stuffed. I have run so quickly <laughs> after Redondo. You should have seen the look on his face. If he could have, he would have put his middle finger up and told me exactly. <laughs> to
2: so did you get it? <laughs> no, no. he told you to I get stuffed.
0: I was in tears. No, I wasn't in tears.
2: But I was
0: absolutely oh, devastated. I, bet.
2: I mean, there were a couple of other big time players in there too, weren't there? Battestudo, for instance. You didn't um didn't track him down and say how bad, or was his his was already gone.
0: Yeah, absolutely. His was gone because Alex Tobin thought, you miserable so and so, you scored a goal using me. I want that shirt. Because You you remember the vision? He had a shot at goal from a very acute angle. It hit the top of Alex Tobin's foot, went over Robbie Zabika's head and into the back of the net on the far side of the goal. And that was it? And the noise was unbelievable. Mm. It really was. You know, you, you think you've heard noise before in this country? No, you have not. Yeah. And they don't shut up from that point. Yeah. So I, I may digress for one uh, second, go for it. at the end of the game, everyone was disappointed, but I looked up in the stand there was one Aussie flag. And I cuz I wasn't, you know, totally in despair, I thought, "Come on boys, let's go and applaud that Aussie flag." Anyway, they reluctantly, you know, went over and we started applauding the flag the whole side of that stadium started applauding us. Wow! They thought we were applauding them.
2: Hey, yo, we need to take another break. After that, uh, keen to get, hear about your life outside of uh, football as well, because uh, I know you were a draftsman through your career, which is probably just as well, because if you're earning five grand a year playing in the NSL, you're going to need <laughs> something else to keep you going. Uh, and all the things you've been doing uh, after uh, your retirement as well. So stacks to get through uh, with Paul Wade, our special guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories, back with more in a Moment.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Socceroos legend Paul Wade, who played 118 times uh, for Australia, over 300 games uh, in the NSL. Uh, and what many of you may not be aware of is that uh, Paul actually played uh, through much of that uh, that time uh, nursing epilepsy. Uh, Paul, can you tell us uh, firstly how you, how you managed to play while managing that condition?
0: Well, uh, the great thing was, uh, and I say that you know, I don't want to upset anyone who has epilepsy, is that I didn't know I had it. Right. I knew that for 30 seconds I would feel sick hot and dizzy the other thing was i felt lonely mm. which is really weird so suck it up Wady. get on with it you know i was brought up in that never let them know you're hurt yeah so i didn't tell anyone and then i collapsed in front of a physiotherapist just before we played argentina over there and he said as soon as we get back to australia you go and see a neurologist So I went to a neurologist. They did all the tests on my brain. They said, you've got a scratch on your front temporal lobe. You've been having seizures all your life. Your brain has been short-circuiting. Here's your medication. Wow. Wow. You can imagine how I felt. I was embarrassed. Nobody else I knew had epilepsy. Yep. I was totally embarrassed. So now I'm sneaking around taking medication I retired as a footballer. I'm working on Channel Seven. I'm calling a game between Socceroos and France, and I have a seizure interviewing Paul O'Con after the game. Oh, wow. I asked him three questions. First question, second question, I start smacking my my lips, and after that question, I don't show him the microphone. Then he's answering that question. And I take the microphone off him halfway through it. That was the first time anyone thought, whoa, what's going on here? The public now know it. And so I'm continuing to be embarrassed. But you know what? The interesting thing is, people are willing to help you. They're yeah. willing to help you so much if they know. And that's the point I make to people don't hide it, tell people. It's amazing how much people care.
2: Mm. So was it liberating for you when it did come out, uh, albeit through a, a fairly awkward moment for you and, and probably for Paul O'Con as well? But uh, that moment, uh, as, as bad as that was for you in that moment, was liberating?
0: Oh, Tim, you have nailed everything about that post-epilepsy uh, episode. Yeah. I felt so good. Oh, when I say so good... So so relieved, weight off the shoulders, willing to look people in the eye and tell them about what was happening to my brain. But it was getting so bad. I was having five seizures a day. Right. And some of them were tonic, clonic seizures where you fall down. If you split your head open, if you need to go to the toilet, that's where you go. It's so embarrassing. But at least I knew what it was. And the neurologist said, mate, the medication's not working. Why don't we do tests and see if we can take part of your brain out? So the short story is they did the tests. They opened me up across the top of my head, 67 staples at the end of it. They took out part of my front temporal lobe where the scratch was, the size of two matchboxes. I had to have a second operation because the scar got an infection And the third operation was to put a steel plate in over the hole in my head. So I was in hospital for five months. And as I tell people, my wife is the hero in all of this because she had to look after three little girls. She had to keep bringing the money in because I was a contractor. If I paid, I got work. Or, Or if I got work, I got paid. So... Yeah, it was the toughest time for her, and she got us through it. And I mean, even going to the bank manager and say, Can we refinance the house? Yeah. Because we haven't got any money. What a strong woman. What a champion. Yeah. So eventually, uh, after those three operations, I don't have any seizures anymore. I can drive a car. Yeah. I could, I can do things that I never took for granted well, I certainly don't do now. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, I still, my short term memory is shot to pieces. I really have to study hard to make something happen. I've been studying so much for you and me to have a chat today and last week and the week before that, it was, yeah, I have to work hard. But mm. you know what the bonus is? I get to hide my own Easter eggs. <laughs> I throw my own surprise parties and I get to meet interesting people all the time. Yeah. When I meet you, I'm going to say, G'day, Tim, how you going? Yeah. And you'll say, We've met before. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, we haven't. I can't remember. It's what I live with. I'm willing to accept it.
2: Well, you've got a great explanation anyway, Paul. I have to ask, there's been a lot more attention in recent years about, um, uh, contact with the head in all sorts of sporting codes, but particularly uh, in the round ball game as well. I mean, not, not a lot of that research uh, in Australia, it must be said, but other more football mad countries. Um, that repetitive contact between ball and, and head, has that played any role in exacerbating your epilepsy over the years, do you think?
0: It's a very good question. The neurologist said you were born with a scratch on your front temporal lobe. Yep. So I'll just assume that, well, I can't say that that wasn't a reason, but, you know, with all the stats that are coming out, that 1966 England World Cup winning team, so many of them have either died or have suffered from brain disorders So I won't argue with the experts, but one thing I will say is it was my choice to head a ball. I was okay at heading a ball. I didn't mind at all, and nobody said don't, but I will never go back and blame somebody for me heading the ball. That was the thing that I brought to a football team. Mm. And honestly, if I had to do it again, this is probably controversial, I would. Yeah. I would do everything all over again because yeah. I'm loving life, and uh, nobody can r- repeat that for me. Yeah. So it's my job to do that.
2: Yeah. Very good. Um, I know you do a lot of motivational speaking, and you've got your uh, you, you've had your Paul Wade uh, soccer schools as well. Um, who do you speak to, and and what do you tell them? How do you try to? To reach them and, and inspire or empower them
0: most teachers come to me and say, you know in year 10, eleven, and twelve, they're lacking motivation, they don't want to do they don't know what they want to do with their lives. they don't know that they've got to plan and organize their future at university or TAFE. Can you fire them up a bit on, and give them some sort of reality that they've got to start taking ownership? So I use those stories, everything that you and me have talked about. That is, that to me, if I can think about them as kids, kids who are confused, kids who are embarrassed for whatever reason, if I can talk to them on their level and think about their issues, I can make sport and health relatable to anything. I do work with the Defence Force Mm -hmm. through the Melbourne business school I've done presentations to primary school kids in fact I've actually done a presentation for kindies and you obviously have to you know with respect dumb that down but you can do it it's a life story and everybody has a life story I'm just lucky to be able to tell
2: mine. And to be fair, yours has uh, got a few more highlights that are probably uh, have entertainment value to other people than than some of the other (laughs) uh, regular members of our community. Absolutely no disrespect uh, to them whatsoever. Paul, thank you so much for your time. That book, uh, if anyone is after uh, the name of that book so they can track it down, it's called Socceroos, 100 Years of Camaraderie and Courage, the foreword written by our guest in this episode of Inspiring Stories, Socceroos legend, Paul Wade. Thank you so much for your time, Paul, and sharing some of your very entertaining stories with us. We appreciate it. Thank you.
0: See you, Tim. Keep up the good work. You've been
2: listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
1: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Barra O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.